You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Bridge to You podcast, hosted by yours truly, Monique Russell, where we focus on promoting Black unity worldwide through conversations that help us understand ourselves and each other. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Bridge to You podcast. I am your host, Monique Russell. You can help this podcast by leaving a five-star rating and sharing it with others. Now, today, in the guest chair, I have none other than Edie Clark. She is a master storyteller who brings life, art, creativity, news, in the most compelling form of video to life. She's really someone that you wanna have on your team because the world is seeking more video creators and not everybody knows how to do it right. Edie was immersed into the world of television since high school, working for CBS affiliates and NBC TV in the US Virgin Islands prior to coming to the US where she landed in New York and LA of all places. Mm-hmm. She worked at Sony Pictures as the art department manager before saying, you know what, I'm about to do my own thing. And her own thing was virtually in sync. The doors opened in 2012. As a seasoned producer, video producer, and YouTube strategist, she educates entrepreneurs on the importance of using video to grow their business and also offers a done-for-you model if you feel like you just don't want to have the time. It is my pleasure and honor to welcome you to the show, Edie Clark. Thank you so much, Monique. That sounds so impressive. (laughs) And and you are. Not many people have the level of depth and expertise that you have being on the inside. We often see what happens on the outside with media, Mm -hmm. but to have you here from the inside, I'm sure I can't wait. This is going to be an incredible interview. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So I I often like to start off asking my guests, you know, if they could be anywhere in the world. And I know you've traveled between VI, Canada, Mm -hmm. England, the US, and even more. So if you could choose to be any place in the world right now, where would you choose to be and why? Wow, that's a toss up. Um, I have an affinity for being home in St. Thomas. And right now it's probably most prevalent on my mind because I'm dealing with settling my mother's estate and the house and all of that stuff. Um, It is a place that I've always gone to, to relax, to completely decompress and just not think about anything. So for that purpose, I would want to be home, um, being able to go to the beach whenever I wanted to. And it's just so super laid back and just non-stressful. So considering the climate that we're in right now, that's probably 
up there with definitely where I would want to go. And the other place would be my most favorite place to go to nowadays is going to England. And that's primarily because that's where my husband's from. That too is a very relaxing because we're not in London. We're outside of London when we go. Um, it is also very relaxing and calming. And I just love the family that we have there and just being able to connect with them. And um, so it would really be a toss up between those, those two places. I remember when I went to uh, St. Thomas. Oh my goodness. I celebrated a milestone birthday there actually. Mm -hmm. So I will never forget it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> And when you say calming, I mean, relaxing. In fact, you make me want to go there right now. <laughs> I can totally relate. Yeah. Um, so England and St. Thomas would be your places of choice yes. for relaxation. Now, Edie, I know that you have had so much time and experience behind the scenes in media, mm -hmm. and you've been up and close, you know, to the personal stories that basically shape uh, how we see a lot of things. This show is really about bridging, building bridges between Black cultures, between Black people. And I wanted to get your views on when you were working in media, mm -hmm. how significant of a role did it play or do you feel it played in shaping people's views about Black people and Black cultures? The time when I was working in uh, television and film, we didn't have the environment that we are living in right now. There was no such thing as Black Lives Matter. There was still a portrayal of the stereotypical Blacks that would be the criminals. You know, they were getting cast as bad guys and negative connotations were always being mentioned whenever there was a Black character that was involved. And at the time, I was involved with an organization called Black Media Coalition. And one of their primary purposes um, was to try to stymie the, the viewpoint of the Black person on, particularly in news, but they also um, went after people in the entertainment industry as well, just to make sure that we had more positive role models that we could see on camera. And with regards to news, the main thing was, you know, whenever there was any sort of crime that was going on, you always saw the black perp being, you know, shuttled from the cops to the cop car or wherever it was that they were going, but you never really saw that when it was a white person that was um, the criminal. And so back then, it was still a struggle. One of the biggest struggles were, was the lack, and still to this day, the lack of Blacks in executive positions and in decision-making positions. And so that limited the number of Black stories that could be told. And I would remember they would always have, um, I think it was around like April or May, they would have a lot of TV shows that would be, they would have the pilot season that went on and you would be able to go and see all of these different TV shows that were being pitched to various networks. And I can't tell you the number of TV shows that I would see that had predominantly black casts that when they were finished viewing the show, they would stand up and applaud because the show was so moving and so riveting and that show would not get picked up by the network. And so that was common 
back then. This is back in the 90s um, when I was working in the entertainment industry. And it was and still is an issue. I mean, what was it? A few years ago, they had sort of like a, if you want to call it a boycott of the Oscars because of the lack of Black representation. So this is something that we have fought for for a long time. And we have moments where it gets better and sometimes where it doesn't. But I think with things like, you know, Black Panther, it's being able now to tell those stories where it has a Black cast, but it's not necessarily just for Black audiences. And I think that's the key thing is to be able to tell your story and it be universally accepted as, a, as opposed to just for a specific audience. And when filmmakers are making movies, they're just wanting to tell a story, whatever that story might be. And it's just about humans. It's just, you know, about whatever that person is experiencing. Whereas an executor or executive, sorry, at a film company, they're looking at the bottom line. How much money am I going to be able to make? And more importantly, internationally, am I going to be able to make money from this movie? And if they feel that in the international markets, it's not going to really resonate because it has a quote unquote black cast, then they're going to pass on it altogether. Or if they do decide to do it, they're not going to invest as much money and therefore it's going to not be as widely released, which is another issue. Mm. I mean, there's so many layers wow. because, you know, there's so many places where you can release a movie and depending on how, you know, how much the film company is really behind that movie, it's going to either do it in wide release and do it to all movie theaters or limit that release if they don't really want to invest as much money. So that's, unfortunately, we are still fighting that fight. But I do see now that there are more storytellers that are out there, primarily because there are more places for them to be able to showcase their content. And that's where things like YouTube, Vimeo, now Netflix and Hulu and all of these other platforms are out there where it doesn't matter what level you're at, you can be a stone cold amateur and you can still tell your story and get it out there, particularly on a platform like YouTube. So I'm excited to see all of the content that we can now put together because we have so many varying stories that need to be told and that need to cross lines and not just be seen by a black audience but needs to be seen by everyone wow i mean you said so many things in that first um <laughs> clip that my mind is like wow there's so many pieces i want to touch on so i i really like the way you talked about the black stories stemming and being influenced from black leadership Mm -hmm. And, you know, with the leadership in place, I mean, now just connecting that dot to, to the fact that as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, and uh, helping other entrepreneurs, you are that Black leadership helping to create right. Black stories in a, in a positive way. Another uh, point that you made up was really around the universal aspect, making mm -hmm. sure that your content, the images that you reveal and portray are universal and they don't just limit it. But I want to jump back into this question here. Will it make money? Right. You know, um, that was something that if the executives didn't see or feel like it would impact their bottom line, they would scratch it. 
I don't know how or why or what would be the determining factor to say, okay, this is an all black uh, cast. It won't make money. Can you just share a little bit more about that aspect Mm -hmm. and then connect it to what entrepreneurs will do right now when they're creating their stories um, online? Um, Typically when they didn't want to invest money into um, show or uh, more importantly, a, a movie, it was usually because of the story. If they felt that it was too specific to the U.S., too specific to um, a a segment of population, then they felt that it was not going to be able to um, have the kind of universal reach that they would like it to have. Typically, if you're looking at European markets, and I'm not an expert, I didn't work in marketing um, in in the film industry, I actually worked more on the uh, post-production end of it. Um, But typically, when you were looking at movies and trying to figure out what really sold when you sold it internationally, action movies tend to um, do the best because it's not necessarily a language barrier issue because they can see what you're doing. You know, they can tell the bad guy from the good guy and and see what you were doing action wise. So anything that was action oriented is is obviously going to be a much better sell for them. Um, The true, really wonderful stories, the rich stories of our culture are the stories that a lot of Black filmmakers would prefer to make. And some of those types of movies were able to get made for a variety of reasons, whether it be because they were attached to white producers or the Black executives that were involved in the movie had the wherewithal and had the cachet, if you will, to get that movie made. Nowadays, I think that for folks that want to create content on whatever level that is, I think the difference is now you have, it's so much easier, I think, to make a movie or to make a TV show because your outlets are more easily accessible. Before you had to, if you wanted to have a TV show, you needed to pitch, there was a process, you needed to pitch your idea to someone and then that person needed to be convinced with very limited information, they needed to be convinced of the validity of that idea. Then from there, you needed to do a spec script. From there, you then needed to do an actual script. From there, they didn't need to make sure that everybody's on board and they put together a budget and they go through all of the process from there. Now it's more sort of the independent route, which always existed. You know, everybody scrapped together. You heard the stories of Spike Lee, you know, charging his first movie. Uh, She's got to have it on credit cards and things of that nature. That's already, that's been existing for some time. And that's what you needed to do if you really believed in your craft and you really believed in your content, that's what you needed to do is fund it on your own. But nowadays you don't have to have a huge, amount of money. You don't necessarily need to max out your credit card. You can really get your own content created literally using your smartphone. And you can do a movie or do a TV uh, series and then put it up on YouTube or 
have a Vimeo account and just market the heck out of it so that people can come onto Vimeo and see it or sell it from Vimeo. So there's so many options now that people can use in order to get their content out there that it's almost better now than it was back then. Mm. That is exciting for me as an entrepreneur, especially, you know, getting the positive messages out and the new stories and the action or lesson that I took from what you shared in the past with the stories that did move through and that were successful, positive stories, because I think we need we need more positive stories um, dispersed. And so connecting or attaching to those in leadership who have the ability to help you move your positive story forward. I think that's something that I'm Mm -hmm. taking away from here that you're teaching us, um, not just posting and hoping and putting on YouTube, but really being intentional about the story, the delivery, the disbursement. So I want to now talk to you about, you know, growing up in the island and Mm -hmm. then moving to New York and LA of all places. (laughs) You did not move to the Midwest like I did. You did. (laughs) Went to where it was hustle and bustle and busy. Um, What was that experience like for you? Um, Well, when I left St. Thomas, I was 18. Um, I had finished high school and had completed one year of college down there. And I was actually born in New York. And my mother, left when I was um, four. So we used to come up for the summer. So it wasn't like it was a completely foreign experience for me. Um, and my father was was living up here and I had, you know, other relatives. Um, but it was scary. It was definitely, um, you know, leaving home for the first time. Everybody, I think, can experience that. Um, but the reason why I think I was so adamant about leaving was because I was always someone that was very adventurous when it came to just wanting to spread my wings and see what it was like to live anywhere else other than an island. And for me, I think I, growing up there, I didn't appreciate it as much as I do now, where I'm thankful that that's where I was raised. Um, Because it was such a small island, everybody knew you. You could not do anything on one part of that island and your mother didn't find out by the end of that day. (laughs) And so, and I didn't like that. I didn't like the fact that I couldn't just get in the car and drive and be in another state or in in another, you know, city or whatever. And so um, I didn't appreciate the things at the time that the island offered for me. And so I was just like, I got to get out of Dodge. And so I left, I came to New York. And it took a little bit of adjusting, um, you know, because you're jumping from super laid back, you know, people are just like chilling 24 seven to like everybody's in a hurry. And you're like, where are they going? You know, it just didn't it was the complete opposite of what I was used to. Um, But I survived it for about eight years. And then I was like, I can't do this subway thing. can't handle that anymore. And this was in the early, this is the late eighties, early nineties. So crime was at its absolute worst when I was living here. And so not that I had any issues. I I was very blessed. Never, you know, nothing ever happened to me. Um, But at that point I kind of had been fighting the, I need to go to the entertainment industry and work in LA. I need to do that. I'd been fighting that for a little bit and I just said, okay, that's it. I got to do it. And so I packed up and 
left and went to California, did not know anyone. I had one friend that had just moved out there like maybe a year or so before me. But other than that, I did not know anybody else and um, hit the ground running, just you know, joined a bunch of organizations, uh, joined the National Academy of TV Arts and Sciences, joined Women in Film, joined the uh, Black Media Coalition, just so that I could network and meet people and do what I needed to do. And I think it was through Black Media Coalition that I ended up getting my first job, which was working as a assistant to a television producer and director who did a lot of episodic um, one hour dramas, um, like Dr. Queen Medicine Woman, if anybody remembers that yes. show. And, and there were a lot of Aaron Spelling movie, uh, shows too that, that um, he used to work on. And then he would be pitching things and he had really very creative um, person that um, really was good at coming up with ideas um, for movies and things of that nature. And then from there, I decided I didn't really want to do that independent um, working for one person type thing anymore. And I, so I think it was probably about four years um, past. And then I started freelancing um, on the production side. And that's where I worked for a short film. I worked um, for a company that did all of the promotional IDs for ABC. And at that time, they had a really fun promotional ID that they were always doing for ABC called TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. So they would always promote all of their Friday night lineups. So I worked on all of those for like about two years, I think I worked um, for that company. And then um, I decided I wanted something a bit more stable. And that's when I ended up working at Sony Pictures and I worked for their visual effects division. And that division was doing all of the special effects like for Starship Troopers. They did, they worked on Contact. They worked on Stuart Little. Stuart Little was actually our first full sort of um, action, well, not live action animation movie. Um, that they'd done there and then um, worked on a bunch of other movies that I can't even, there's so many I can't remember. Wow. Yeah, um, what they very were. Expensive. But, but yeah, so it was, it was, um, California was very reminiscent of uh, St. Thomas, obviously, because, you know, there's beaches and because it's so sunny and the, the temperature most of the time was similar, although they could get really bitter cold winter days as well. But that was a different experience in New York. And I actually took a lot longer to acclimate myself to living in California, primarily because of the people. They're just different. Mm -hmm. And um, like one of the things I always tell people is that I did not like about California. I'm sorry if any Californians are, li are listening to this. <laughs> but um, one of the things I did not like was that when you met someone for the first time, they were intrigued by what you did. That was sort of the first thing. They didn't really want to know your name. They didn't care where you were from, but what do you do? Because their incentive was, oh, are you somebody that can help me? Because 90% of the people were either want to be actors or actresses, or they wanted to get in behind the scenes. So if you were somebody that could get them a foot in the door, then they were going to become your best friend. And if not, then they kind of skedaddle. Dismiss you. Yeah. <laughs> Dismiss you. Thanks, yeah, you, you know. <laughs> they're not wasting time. Yeah. So they that was the only thing. Right away. Yeah, that I didn't really care about um, California. But all in all, I'm glad that I did what I did. I'm glad that I went there and lived there and experienced the things because it was a true education 
um, living there and just doing what I did and meeting the wonderful people that I, I met both personally as well as professionally. So I, I, it was a really great experience, so, but I would not move back there again. Ooh, well, I lived in the Bay Area and for me, it was a little different because I just missed being with my family. Mm -hmm. I just miss being so far from the islands. Right. I have been yeah. in the Bahamas, so yeah. I totally could relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Edie, you, I mean, from the first time that we met when mm -hmm. we were on the virtual conference mm -hmm. and I heard you speak, I was like, oh, I need to talk to this. Lady. <laughs> like, You just radiated so much confidence. And then even in our subsequent subsequent conversations, I was really inspired just by your presence and also your stories. And I just want to ask, like, were you always this way? Because being in film back then and, and just having so much influence back then as a Black woman, leader, powerful, I mean, how did you embrace your role and place as a woman in society? How did you get this way? Um, I'm sometimes floored when people say that because um, for a really long time, I didn't see myself as super, super confident. Um, I do have a belief in myself to a certain degree. Um, and I think that that just comes through when I'm, when I'm speaking to someone, because I do I wholeheartedly believe what I'm, what I'm saying. And I, I, you know, and my goal is always to help people and to, you know, um, guide them or, you know, make suggestions or recommend or do whatever. I'm always wanting to, to be that way. But um, I think definitely having a very strong mother um, and her as someone who was very easy for me to want to be like, because she was very strong and she did things that boggle my mind to this day that she was able to do. You know, she decided she didn't want to live in New York anymore. She picked up her two kids, four and six years old, decided to move back to her homeland in um, St. Thomas. My father opted not to come because he had just started a, a job and was afraid that when he came back, there really weren't going to be the jobs that, that she had been hearing was, was happening down there. And within, I think about two years of moving back on her own, built her house on her property and moved us in and, you know, was able to maintain that all of the years until she passed in, in about four years, five years ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so she's somebody that I looked up to and always wanted to have that strength. I actually never saw that strength, but it's really hard for you to see what others see in you. So I, I probably shouldn't even say half of what I said, because I don't know how people perceive me until they tell me. And so, um, but as far as my ability to trudge ahead and do what I've done, I would you know, modestly say I wasn't a leader when I was in LA. I, I worked for companies and yes, I had managerial positions in some instances and in other instances, I was a part of the crew just like everyone else. Yes, and more often than not, I was probably the only black person <laughs> on the crew or one of very few. I didn't see that as anything other than that's what the times were. 
It wasn't that, oh, I'm like doing something. I didn't see it like that. And even now I still don't even see it like that unless somebody might, you know, mention that um, to me. But I just really had a love of something and I pursued it. Mm, that is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And, and I will say you may not have seen it, but that's exactly what you were and are. <laughs> yes, a leader in every sense of the word. And I know everybody listening to this is like, uh, yeah, you were a leader and you are a leader. <laughs> so that's Thank big, you. big news. Yeah. Um, so having that passion is a good thing. Having the love, having the passion. And I see this theme coming back up throughout this conversation around leadership. You know, mm-hmm. that the Black leadership at, in the film, the personal leadership with your mother. I mean, like really shaping how we see ourselves and how, right. we, how we see what is possible for us mm-hmm. in the future. So before we start to wrap up, I have a fun question that I want to ask you. And this question is sort of like a make-believe and creativity because I feel sometimes we are limited in not being able to, to use our imagination Mm. Um, there, there aren't really places where we're just getting into that creative mode. So I want our listeners to experience this. So you are the producer, the Mm -hmm. writer, the editor of the only media outlet left in the entire world. Mm. What story would you tell using video only no words, because we talked about language barriers, right. no words. This is a universal message to build a bridge to unity among Black cultures and Black people. Um, I would say it's actually an idea that I've been working on for, I couldn't even tell you how, how long, and I, I need to sit down and really do it now if I'm going to say anything out loud in public. <laughs> we're, we're in imagination. <laughs> okay. But it's tying into your real reality. Yeah, it, it's tying into my real reality now. I actually love, I never used to like uh, documentaries or anything that was even remotely um, educational. That wasn't my thing. I was always into entertainment and doing um, or, or wanting to create content that was for, you know, just escaping. This is a fantasy world of, you know, whatever. But now that I've gotten older, I'm more into wanting to really educate my audience. And partly it's probably because of what I'm doing now. And if I had the opportunity to educate them with regards to Black culture and just them understanding one of the things that I've always wanted to do was to create a TV series where I would showcase the contributions of Black Americans in terms of tools and things that they've invented and how we are still utilizing those things to this day. And just sort of you know, having this this bridge that connects their idea to the way that we're using it in the 21st century. And that I that just, you know, lights me up. That's something that I think would definitely cross every kind of um, 
barrier that you can think of because it would be things that we use or have used or may use. Um, and then them seeing what it started off with as and then where it is today. First of all, I love that. So, so no words, no right. words. Right. Just showing and and I oh I love it because yeah. I can actually see it as you're talking about it. Yeah. Like just watching where it started from and seeing how we made it today. Yeah. And so I'm looking forward to this series. Yes. I know. <laughs> now that I do it. <laughs> what is what is what would you call it? Um, the original idea was yesterday, today, tomorrow, just because it's showing you know, what it was yesterday, how we're dealing with it today, and then the future version of it mm. for tomorrow. Mm. Yesterday. Because there are a lot of futurists that are out there that are sort of mapping out what our future will look like. Wow. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I feel like that needs to be the title for this yeah. episode. <laughs> <laughs> And so I absolutely love that um, response to this creative aspect. Um, I want to just wrap the summation for our listeners about really the powerful nuggets. I want to make sure that no one's missing the nuggets that you have dropped here today, really around leadership. Black leadership helps you or even connecting with others who Mm -hmm. are able to move your message forward, not just Black leadership, not just Black leadership, but leadership who are willing to help you move your message forward positively to bring unity and love. Home leadership, really the importance of being able to see what is possible for you. That helps Mm. to break the barriers, to help to break the limitations of, oh, I can't do this. You saw your mom do it. And so it was like, that's a no brainer. Influence, more is caught than taught, seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, Having that love and that passion for what it is that you do, you can't leave that out. Making sure that you have a universal message, which I feel is so timely, Edie. This yeah. was this was like a big nugget, like, oh, you gotta be a creator on these social media platforms mm-hmm. and you have to make sure that your message can be digested across boundaries. And one way to do that is with video. And if you cannot translate into multiple languages, think about the actions, think about the images, think about the the movements that will help to translate what's going on in the movie or in the image or message. (laughs) And then finally, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Telling the stories of invention in the past and how it's being used today. Yeah. Before we start to close, is there anything you'd like to leave with our audience? When it comes to utilizing videos specifically or moving images for your business or just however it is that you want to use it, Um, don't be afraid to experiment. It's really important to just trust your gut and go with whatever ideas it is that you're coming up with. Don't look to be super perfectionistic with the things that you're doing, because that can really be a barrier that prevents you from 
moving from where you are to where you want to be because we are and i know this from experience our worst critics and something i would do and create and think oh my god this is a piece of crap i would show to somebody and they'd be like oh my god this is really nice so you really need to not uh self-criticize yourself to to the point where you just don't do anything so i would highly recommend experimenting when it comes to video awesome and if our listeners want to connect with you and really take advantage of your services where can they find you online online my website is edclark.com that's e-d-i-e-c-l-a-r-k-e.com otherwise i'm on linkedin um, that's pretty much the only platform that I'm kind of hanging out on lately. And you can find me at Virtually In Sync on LinkedIn. Oh, fantastic. Well, ladies and gen and children, if you're listening to this episode, you have it. You have been served by the master storyteller, Edie Clark. I want to thank you for listening and tuning in. Remember, you can hear this episode on anywhere you listen to your podcast, Google, Apple, on my website, clearcommunicationsolutions.com. And until next time, be well. Thanks for listening to the Bridge to You podcast. Visit clearcommunicationsolutions.com or connect with me on LinkedIn, Monique Russell, or Instagram at clearcommunicationcoach. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.